Charlie and Susie Coker have been married for well over 40 years. They have two boys and five grandchildren. In part one from Rape the Righteousness, you heard Charlie and Susie's story about their early years. In this part, you'll hear their story as teenagers and what went on that changed their lives forever. You will also hear how God worked in and through them to save their marriage from the brink of divorce, addiction, and bankruptcy. Well, after 40 years, things do sure look much better on this side. We would love to hear from you what the Lord is doing in your life or have seen in others. Write us at stories at themillenniumbeat.com or call us and leave a voicemail at 407-624-9957. We at The Millennium Beat are looking forward to hearing what the Lord is doing in your life. Remember that The Millennium Beat is helping people share their stories. Welcome to the Millennium Beat Podcast, where we like to encourage the world one story at a time. Now get ready to hear stories from around the world that encourage and uplift you. Now to the show with your host, Kevin James. Hey everybody, I'm your host, Kevin James. You're listening to the Millennium Beat. Today I'm sitting down again with Charlie and Susie Coker, and we're going to talk about their life after the time they were teenagers. Let's get to it. All right, so let's move up a few years um, to your latter teens. You're a little older than Susie. Two is. years older. Two years yeah. older. We've already established that. We established that. That's in, that's an anchor. It's sealed in stone. So, all right. So now let's hear a little bit about the the teenager, Charlie Coker Jr. Well, Charlie Coker Jr. Um, had become. Um, a shell, a hardened shell, because number one, I was no one was going to abuse me the way it had happened at seven, and I became a fighter and an aggressive person. Deep down inside, that little boy was still there. Right. That mama rocked to sleep every night. The, the God calling on the inside of me had always been there. But the pornography side, um, the sexual. Uh, release side that that I had started developing uh, and resisting the homosexual thing, I I went after women, but I went after it with an aggressiveness and and the the, the basic situation was um, I got into a situation where Susie and I uh, I was actually engaged to be married to someone else. And you were how old at that time? Um, I was uh, well at that point I was my 18th birthday. And that's the actual moment that everything changed. Susie, I think, had a crush on me. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping she did. Or I was. <laughs> well, yes, we we went the youth group and uh, knew each other. I was 15. You were 17. Went to the same youth group. Might have, car. might have skipped church and went parking a few times. Went to drive in. That kind With of. Charlie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With me. Yeah, well, I found out tonight you interviewed a guy <laughs> named Paul Kendall. No. And and I found out tonight that, that, uh, that I found out tonight that she uh made out with him at church. You know, I'm like, wow. I'm Should I give out. you my whole list of all the other things? <laughs> oh my <interviews>. gosh. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a good youth group, but it yeah, that way. <laughs> anyway, we knew each other youth group. Now and, where was this youth group? In Vero Beach. No, I know that particularly. Simple as a guy. Assembly. Essential? Versus simple. No. no. First assembly, which is on 16th, 16th, right? Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. where we all went. At yeah. Time. So anyway, um, yeah, I might have skipped skipped out on church a little bit because I grew up going back a little bit. I grew up teenage years. I was not allowed to date. I was not allowed to go to football games. I was not allowed to go to Sadie Hawkins movies. school dances, movies. None of that was all devil stuff. You know, it really got into the Pentecostal, you know, holy roller. And, but I could do anything with church. Guess where she found me. <laughs> so, and the thing is though, is you do the same thing in church. The kids do the same thing in church as, right. <laughs> as the, the other kids. How the kids do outside yeah, of church. they do. They, yeah, just learn to be a little sneakier, you know? So I would get to where I'd be like, hey, you know, call my mom and be like, hey, mom, we're going to go get something to eat after go church. Go to lunch. We're, we're going to go get something to eat after church. Okay. And you're not going to get something to eat, you know, but hey, 
It's a church event. Yeah. She never questioned it. So, hey, use church. <laughs> wow. I'm hopefully parents of today have wised up a little bit. Oh. oh. Yeah. Well, you got to realize I had left home um, for a couple years uh, when I was 16. Oh. Had my own apartment. And then, Didn't know uh, that. Yeah. It, and I, I was a rebel. Mm. He was a bad boy. You like that? That's kind of why I liked you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird how girls go after the bad boys. I know, right? They date the bad boys, but... Marry the... Marry well, well <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but he changed. <laughs> Years later, way. <laughs> you prophetically seen it down the road. Yeah, that, right. You know, this guy is going to be a catch, and he's going to be a worker, and he's going to bring in a lot of I'm money. I'm going out with the deacon's son. <laughs> yeah, really. Oh, that's right. Your dad was the deacon, wasn't he? Yes. Uh, he was the top dog, man. Yeah. Long as, you know, the, the, the bottom line is I was a broken man. And uh, the situation is we, uh, my parents had actually gone out of town and I went to his house. I went to their house and told some of my cousins and stuff. And we were there with different girls and doing what we do. And long story short, basically, you know, we were making out and doing our thing and and it got hot and heavy and went to the next level. And she said, Oh, you're no. talking about you had me there. You just said you were there with girls. Okay. I was there with Susan Grace Kolb. <laughs> and she was a few weeks from being 16 years old. It was my 18th birthday. And bottom line is we were having a good time. I think I got to second base with no problem. But uh, <laughs> I went to third base and I knew. You know, a little bit of resistance, and uh, I decided I was going to go home, and she said no, and basically that abuse people abuse right. kicked in, and you don't tell me no when you get to third base, and I date raped her, and she had never been with anybody, and it, it it's just what I did, right. and uh, it, it was... That was one of those life-changing moments. Right. Um, you know, the hardest thing that I've had to do in the last few years was, you know, we're going to tell some of our bad stories of getting married and the whole nine yards. But when I, I really had an encounter with God in 1993, after we had been married and we were going through a divorce, and I had an encounter with God. And he gave me a title of a book. And here's what he said to me. When you redeem her as your bride, you can write the book, and I'll trust you with my bride. And the title of the book is From Rape to Righteousness, Redeeming the Bride of Christ. Right. And you can take the title of that book, and you could take it back to my 18th birthday when no wasn't no, and I, I broke something in her. And uh, you just thought it was an event. You know, it's funny sometimes when you break the rules and you think it's just an event with God. God has this weird way of hooking you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was actually engaged to be married to somebody else at the time, which really means I'm a total certified scumbag at 18. And uh, Susie got pregnant. And that's where reality started coming in. And uh, that, that, you know, you go back to that event. Why did I do that? Abuse people, abuse people. People that don't follow God and let God heal them where they had been abused will repeat the cycle. And, and that's the book, From Rape to Righteousness, Redeeming the Bride of Christ. And I can tell you that you can mold mine and Susie's story from that event to where we're at today. And it's one of those benchmarks that only Jesus can heal. And the problem with Christianity is we think it's a one-time event, that the healing goes, whoo, Jesus breathes on it, whoo, you're healed. No, it starts there, but you have to walk that out. And we've had to learn to walk that out. You know, like I said, we started this whole interview, we've been married 40 years. You know, there's a lot of people who get to go to the first, the second, the third, or the fourth marriage before they deal with the crap. Me and Susie, um, one thing is we're the babies of the family. 
were very, she is so competitive. People think she's not competitive. That is the most competitive woman you've ever <laughs> met in your life. If she wants to win, watch her. She, she's competitive. And someone said, you know, how come you guys never really got divorced? Because neither one of us wanted the kids, you know. <laughs> and, and basically, neither, neither one of us wanted to say we failed. So we would fight through things when our marriage has been totally destroyed. But this, this, this event at, at, you know, she's almost 60, still 15 years old, actually, what had happened. It was my 18th birthday, and I'm thinking, my God, I could have gone to jail, you know. And um, she, she sucked it up. Um, I think she sucked it up because she did not know what to do with it. She'll have to tell that side of her story. But the bottom line is I wished it would have, that event night would have gone away. I hoped it went away, but it didn't go away because she got pregnant. And I had to face some things. And I believe it was God's design to make me face some things. Or I got to be honest with you, I probably would have started a prison ministry one day. <laughs> yeah, you would have. All right. We know what was going on in your head at that time. And always the biggest question is, we always hear that story. Mm -hmm. We know that really well. But I want to hear, and I think my listeners want to hear, what was going on in your head at this time? You're 15 going on 16. Mm -hmm. You're now going to be a mom. Well, yeah, from the, from the night when I got pregnant, um, you know, when he brought me home, you know, I think I actually went to a friend's house. And, um, you know, I kind of just, I put it out of my head. I was young. I right. was, you know, um, gosh, time went on. You know, I just kept you know, just putting that in my head. Right. Um, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, right. It, yeah, it was just, you know, just went on with my life, you know. Can remember my pants, my pants, yeah, right. Can remember my pants starting to get a little tighter and I would get to school and I never, it's funny is I never discussed it with any of my friends, but yet me and my girlfriend, she was a little bit bigger than me and we would go in the bathroom and change pants. You know, it's like, it was weird because it's like, and she never it asked was, you anything? I didn't know. It's yeah. like, maybe she, maybe she had heard something. Say. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, my mom got a, a phone call one night, and somebody whispered, Susie's pregnant, and hung up. And she came to me, and what's this all about? You know, I mean, I had totally, just totally put it out of my head and by that time I was four and a half months pregnant and my mom had not that had been a shock you know and when she asked me she said who was it and was he drunk that was her questions you know I guess you know in her mind you know it had to have been the guy and he had to have been drunk to do this so Susie sent us in. <laughs> yeah I was innocent. Yes, you were. I, and, I agree with yeah. that. So anyway, yeah. So, so you know, she takes me to the doctors and all of this. So time goes on. And at that point from that, the night I got pregnant, Charlie and I never spoke again until our son was 19 months old. He never saw him. You might have saw him at a distance because I kept going to the same church. His parents, his dad was deacon at that church, and the pastors were wonderful to me, you know, especially back at that time, 1978. Now, nobody ever asked you who the father was? Oh, they knew. Oh, oh. she told everybody. Oh, she told them. No, I did Somebody not. Somebody did. No, <laughs> no, no. Oh, they knew. They all knew it was Charlie. No, actually, yeah, what... One of my childhood friends, I was friends with her from first grade. She worked at Wendy's and um, right as I had just had Jason and uh, Charlie came through the Wendy's drive through and he got his food and she was working the window and he looked at his receipt on his food and it said, congratulations on your new son. So <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, I think we still have the receipt in the somewhere in, in the, the safe. safe. Yes, I think it's still in the safe. <laughs> yes, right. But anyway, yeah, he. Uh, but other and his friends would say like they would maybe see me out or at church and it, they'd tell him it's like that kid looks just like you, <laughs> identical. I mean, yeah, my sisters. Now my sisters, everybody knew, but I was in denial. I, I was saying like this ain't mine. 
Oh, like, there was even one time when I was pregnant and I was still, you know, going to church oh, and gosh. all this. You tell that story. They were having at his parents' house, they were having a, the youth over or like a hot dogs or hot chocolate or something. And his oldest sister asked their mom if she was going to invite me. And his mom said, I am not having her here. You know, of course, Charlie had been telling them wasn't his It's a false kid. accusation. It's That's not, not mine. That's not mine. You know, yeah. I, you know, you got to realize, you gotta realize <laughs> I was in such denial. I forget about all these little. I was in such yeah. denial that I had to paint a picture that she was slutty. Well, she had, ne- she had never been with anybody but me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I labeled her to hide my own lie. Right. You're rationalizing in your own mind. Mm-hmm. No, I was I was conniving. No, conniving in your own mind. <laughs> okay. But anyway, his his mother, I guess God really dealt with her, and she got convicted, and called me and invited me, and I went. I went. Yeah, she went yeah. with a purpose, though. No, well, a friend, <laughs> a, a guy friend, I went with him, and while we were there, he went in Charlie's bedroom. And took a picture of him. Took his school picture. A picture. Right. Took his school picture that was in a frame. And gave it to me so that I would have a picture to show my son who his father was. Okay. Wow. (laughs) Boy, I forget those. Wow. (laughs) So so you said, how old? 17? Before he knew about the child? Jason? That what? How old was he? I mean, how old was your son? Brian oh, was, 50. He was, he was 19 months old. 19 so months like old. a year and a half. Year yeah. And a half. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so, um, gosh, and you know what? I mean, I had a praying mama and, you know, yeah, and, and he had a praying mama and, you know, and I felt my little naive self of, I wanted us to be a family. Right. As much as I knew about that, right. you know. Um, Only I think you can see what you, from your parents and stuff like that. Right. What you've seen. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah. Like so that. I mean, we just, um, gosh, we just believed, and I and kept going to church, and you know, she she believed. I, I you got to realize she was, she wasn't bitter, she Mm-mm. wasn't angry. Um, I I can tell you that I had a prophetic encounter one time, and I know what God said her she, that she prayed. God told me one time that she prayed, give me the father of this baby, make him a father, a husband, and a righteous man. That came from God. And that was her heart. And I was engaged to be married, and I went into such conviction over this period of time that I wound up with three bleeding ulcers. And I was miserable. I was under conviction I was, my life was in turmoil, and I was literally planning to go into the um, Air Force. I was going to jump, I was gonna jump into, the, into the services and get out of town. And I'll never forget, I went for a walk from my dad. You know, all the rumors were there. Everybody knew who. Everybody. Oh, I forgot. It's because when my mom found out I was pregnant and I went to the doctor's appointment and mm. they told her how much it was going to cost. It was $2,540, by the way. <laughs> my mom went to the pastor to let him know and how much it was going to cost to get him to come up with some money. And so the pastor called him in and he told the pastor, it's not mine, walked out. <laughs> he was a winner, let me tell you. <laughs> So, so I went into this extreme conviction, and uh, wow, this makes me feel bad. Jesus, Eric, let me go ahead and publicly, dear Jesus, forgive me. I know I've done it before, but just 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 cover this again. Anyway, but but the bottom. I'm going to just is, let my therapist just listen to this, and then she'll just know everything. But the bottom line, but you know, the bottom line is, her heart was give me the father of this baby, give me you know, give me a husband, a father, and a righteous man, and that was her heart, and and you can. You could look at her all the way through, and that was the innocence and the purity and the godliness of this of, of my wife. Can't say that about me, um, but I can never. I'll never forget it. We were walking. I can. It was dark. We were walking, and I I was telling my dad that I, I was struggling. I wasn't living at home at the time, and I had come back from the doctor the day before, 
and these bleeding ulcers about to kill me. And I told dad, I said, man, I said, the doctors are going to, we're going to try a baby food diet. They're going to put me on baby food to try to get these ulcers to quit bleeding. And uh, my dad just looked to, looked through me and he made this statement. I'll, I'll never forget it. He said, boy, that ain't what you're eating. It's what's eating you. And I knelt down and I forgave, asked God to forgive me of my sins and confessed to it. I said, Dad, I don't know what to do now. I got to deal with this. And that was the moment where I was willing to give up the girlfriend and the and, and the girl I was engaged to and face the consequences and at least financially take my responsibility. Right. You You had no hopes of a relationship. You had no hopes of... Susie even speaking to me at this time, and and hell, the rumors were her dad was going to shoot me. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. wanted one Charlie Coker Jr. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, so so that's that was a pretty interesting thing, and and so God just started orchestrating it, and you got to realize, I, I have to say this: Susie's heart was giving the daddy this baby, make him a father, a husband, a righteous man, and she did never deviate from that. I can't say that about me. So those were the rough years, and uh, it's it's amazing that I called her. I wanted to talk to her. I had not seen the child. He was 19 years old. From afar, 19 months, not 19 years. (laughs) Yeah, 19 months. That would have been a big difference. Yeah, you saw him from afar. From afar. And... uh, uh, and and I asked her. I said, "Can I talk to you?" And she she made. I'll never forget. Do you remember making this? No, statement? you were at church. I re- see. These are things I remember more. And I, I asked you as we you, were at church, and you said, "Would you go out? With me? We go out." Yep. And I said, "If you treat me right." That was our first statement. If you'll treat me right, yes, I will. And uh, that's where we started rebuilding what I had broken, and God was in it. Right. And. Uh, Still a lot of brokenness. This is why I'm saying God can start the policy, the 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 the, the policies and, and 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 help, but but man, it's never easy. Right. And uh, we got married what six months after that? No, we started dating. <laughs> That's why I need a wife. <laughs> she remembers the fine details. You went those, from hey, you want to go out? Yes. Details. If you treat me right, I, I do. What happened in the middle? There wasn't. It was only a few months. Oh, wow. Really? Yes. All I yes. know is I had a race car that got three miles to the gallon. I had to sell the damn thing. I still miss that race car. We started car. going out in October and got married in April. Okay. Yep. So that was April of what year? Uh, 1980. Yes. Jason was two years old. Yeah. He was our ring bear. No, he wasn't the ring bear. But with that time of, of being pregnant, I mean, my parents were awesome. The night that... Um, they found out I was pregnant. My dad came to my room and said, I'm sorry this happened to you, and I'll stick by you. So, yeah, yeah, it was, I mean, and, you know, with my mom, and it was never any shame in it or anything. It was just, this is this is what we did. But you have to, you have to she never told anybody I raped her. Right. No, I had never told anybody. It was just an event. I actually never told anybody until I was about 32 years old, which we'll get to that point, and that's another whole story. In our yeah, that's a whole other story that, that she wasn't that innocent in. And then that it, at that point in my life, the way Charlie was treating me, um, he was addicted to pornography then, um, drinking, and that's where the way he was treating me, he would humiliate me, in front of his friends. Um, so you wait a minute. You're basically saying he didn't honor the question you asked them. Right. When you first went exactly. Out. Well, now we're talking right. nine years into the marriage. It's it, yes. It was yeah. like yes. So that's where it, the way it went. So I'm into my 30s, and I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I'm just saying that is where the whole um, of all of that going on is where it affected me. Because when it happened, it didn't so much affect me. I didn't hold any anger or bitterness. But through our married life and early 30s, the way he treated me and the 
probably the pornography and the way that he treated me, it brought back, it was that whole... Um, unresolved issues. Unresolved, yes. The whole, um, the whole sexual thing, you know, was just the way that, that he treated me was brought it all up again. And that's where it affected me, you know, and that's what um, really affected and changed me right. into a person that I didn't want to be. Because I was just saying is, is all of that with him and, and having a baby young and all that, that didn't affect me. I, I could forgive him and all of that. It was... It was the extended brokenness that I still carry. Right. You know, you got to realize I had an encounter with God. And when we got married, we were serving God. And we were serving in the church. Mm -hmm. And we were doing all the good Christian things. Right. And then, uh, you know, some leader was sleeping with some secretary. And then I got got just, I I got offended. And I quit going to church. Well, someone else got offended and you took their offense. And then, and long and story short, I I backslid. Mm -hmm. Right. And I went in back into to, to, to the pornography and, and the brokenness. And the problem is I was becoming successful in business. And when you're successful in business, you can hide that stuff. Right. But you can't hide it forever. You know, I, if people go, okay, what was your turning point? You know, we were successful. We had two kids at the time. We had our, our, young, our other son, Brian. And, and I'll never forget, my mother walked into my business. And this is probably another one of those turning moments my mother walked in my business she, she she says to me she goes put your checkbook on your desk and I put my checkbook on your desk and she goes I want to talk to it and she started talking to my checkbook she goes hey checkbook your owner is a heathen your owner's in an adulterous relationship she's addicted to pornography he's not worthy to be a husband he's not worthy to be a father and I've prayed a blessing upon you checkbook because he's been the owner Every day it was life, but today I didn't. And she told my checkbook. Today I told God he had permission to strip him to nothing. And I also gave God complete control if he needed to kill him to get him to heaven. He had permission. That day my mother turned on me because I was addicted to pornography. I had been doing things that I shouldn't have been doing, and I was destroying my marriage. And that was a that was a rough about a two year period even after that, and in that period, Susie, and I taught her how to go to the bars. I told her taught her how to do these things, and she was broken, and she started doing her own thing, because there was no hope for us at that point. That was what ten years, nine, ten years into a marriage. Well, see, I have to. <laughs> Here's the, my ahead, my my you. point of my personality, where I'm so black and white that when he doesn't say something just the right way, I have to correct it you know but anyway it was i mean i we didn't really go to bars together we didn't have a we weren't out like partying okay but anyway (laughs) he um worked a lot because of learning that from his dad he worked a lot and he would from work he would whatever he did he would not be home you know so i was home by myself and i had a girlfriend who was a bartender. So I started getting a babysitter. I knew one of us went to the bars. And <laughs> and started going, you know, sitting with her. Right. You know. And I mean, we did. We, we did go to bars. But anyway, you're not totally wrong. Just partially. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, started going out. And I mean, our our marriage was growing further apart. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, with the pornography, I mean, his addiction to pornography was pretty extreme. And so it kind of brought the sexual abuse back into our relationship. And, um, you know, I felt distant. I felt lonely. I, you know, always thought, you know, how can I be lonely being married with two children? You know, and I was lonely. Well, you have a lot of males out there, men, who are more than happy to, you know, help you not to be lonely. So, you know, he was out doing his thing. And so, you know, I was out doing my thing. And we just kept growing further and further apart. And uh, finally, 
it was, I'm trying to think, I was 33, I think I was 33 years old when I had had enough and I moved out. But the thing is, I moved out and I left my two boys with him because <laughs> I had to get out right. from my own mind. I had to get out and I knew I would get my, my, my boys back, you know, um, she knew that they didn't want to stay with me. <laughs> you had sugar-free Kool-Aid. I remember, I remember the smallest thing you bought, sugar-free Kool-Aid. <laughs> well, in your mind, you were a you know, 15, 16-year-old. You became a mom. So up to 30, you, know, re you really didn't know the single life. No, yeah, you never. Had no clue uh -uh. of it. He no. did. Uh, Charlie right, did, yeah. right. But, yeah, but you not, didn't. Not long and not well at it. <laughs> no, but you no. Know, uh -uh. But you were like, okay, I've had enough. This ain't working. I'm going to become mentally, not physically, but mentally single in your brain. Well, I was kind of physically single. <laughs> I was just going to say, why didn't you leave that out? <laughs> hey, I was physically single. Yeah. But well, you did move out, you said, yeah. Well, no, I was even physically before she moved before. Out. Yeah. Okay. Those, those men that helped me not to be lonely, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, how could There's we a laugh song. about this? There's a song in that. <laughs> There's a book in that. <laughs> It's because you're, you're, you know, you're talking on the other side of divorce. Other but side that's of the point of things that I did, um, situations that I put myself in that where any shame would come from, you know? Right. And it's like, I almost, I can feel, maybe not all the way to the point, but it's like a lot of women out there who maybe will find themselves prostituting on the streets right. or maybe being an exotic dancer, things that they just have to do. Susie, you remember that message that the ex-prostitute preached? Yes. We went, we went and did a service one time at a, a, a it was a pretty well, a, a black uh, uh, conference and I was ministering there and I was speaking one night, and the second night, I shared the platform with a lady who was an ex-prostitute. And she was so nervous, and she was, you know, working on her skill set. And she asked me a question. She goes, what are you going to preach tonight? And I said, I don't know. I said, I got a thousand, I had my briefcase. I have probably a thousand messages in there, and the Lord hasn't spoken to me yet. And she looked at me, she goes, you have a thousand messages? I says, yeah, but that doesn't matter. You have to preach what becomes lively to you in the Holy Spirit. I said, look, I looked at her, and I says, Preach your, your story. And I, I, just, I just prayed for her. That lady got up and she went to get her, she had Bibles and notes and all this. She couldn't find her notes. What was the title of her message? The Faith of a Sinful, of a sinful Woman. And she told her story. Mm -hmm. how she was turning tricks as a prostitute, yep. but she still had faith still had in God. Faith. Susie and I have never forgotten mm -hmm. that message. No. And that's really what Susie is saying. Yeah, I, okay, I did a bunch of sinful stuff, but you can't say I didn't have faith even though I was doing it. We, we, we were Christians. Because we know where we came from. Yeah. And, you don't, and, and you don't I, forget that. I, I'm telling you, I have never... I mean, her and I are sitting right making eye contact. The title of the message was The Faith of a Sinful Woman. Mm -hmm. And that's where Susie was at in that portion of her mm -hmm. life. Now, God handled me differently than he handled her. It's like he never beat her upside the head and threatened to kill her. Well, because, you know, you look at it as, as our childhood. You talk about how we were brought up and this and that. You know, Charlie was the, you know, his father would say, don't step foot out of this yard. And he'd look right at you and take a step out of the yard. You'll put that foot outside the yard. Me. Then see if he could beat me. Right. Me, you would just have to look at me the wrong way. I was an obedient child. You know, so God was, he could, was tender with me because he knew. And I knew, you know, he didn't have to scold me or, you know, like Charlie Oh, <laughs> he, he took Charlie out to the woodshed. Yeah. Listen, yes, but, but I needed to go out to the woodshed. Yes. So you're looking at two people who love God. 
right. who have two completely different personalities mm-hmm. and two different um, mindsets. And you have God as a father who has to, to, to father both of us. And when you look at us now, we've been married 40 years. He does not deal with Susie Coker the way he deals with me. Well, just like we have to deal with both of our boys, totally different ways. You know, uh, the bottom line, the bottom line was I was, I had become so broken. And, and I think, I think, you know, when you read the book from rape to righteousness, um, I think the reality of that book hit me the most when I finished the book, I had it ready to print, and God said, wait a minute, wait a little bit. And, and you realize that was only, what, last year? And Susie took the microphone one Sunday morning at church, and she says, Charlie wrote a book that God gave him the title 25 years ago, From Rape to Righteousness, Redeeming the Bride of Christ. And she told our church, it's time to print the book. The redeeming process is over. And God's going to trust us now as a church with his bride. And I, I think that that statement that she makes, she never grabs a microphone and talks. You, you, I don't remember. I kind of do. But. Okay, but that statement, she just reiterated what God had told me the day he gave me the title. And so what I'm saying to you is you have people that have been in two, three, four marriages that are finally getting healed. You're looking at two people. Listen, we went to a Christian counselor in the beginning of all of this problems. He interviewed me. He interviewed Susie. He interviewed and came together and says, you two shouldn't be married. He said, there's no hope for you guys because the abuse and the abuser can't, don't, don't normally mix together. But you can with God. And, and, and Susie doesn't let me get away with nothing. And, and thank God, because that's, you know, uh, uh, and, and I, think, I think some of the security came for Susie is when I started having encounters with God. Well, when I left him, when I was in my early 30s and I left him, he, here he was, functioning alcoholic. I mean, the pornography, you know, unreal. Um, he had an encounter with God that changed him dramatically i mean you talk about a man who put down the alcohol put down the pornography you know and here i am and and seeing this man that was like he was you know telling me you know i've changed i'm i've changed you know and i yes and i always would say actions speak louder than words because i've heard it all before you know and um so it was when I came back home, you know, and, and here he had had this whole change in his life. I mean, incredible. I mean, you talk about a man changing from being one person to another, you know. But then there was a negative side of that is now he was Mr. Christian. Right. And I was the bad girl, you know, being out there. And so he was religiously coming at me all the time, all the time. And, um, you know, I would just, I wasn't very nice to him because I just wanted him to shut up, you know, because he was just coming at me. But you know what? It was like, um, there again, I think without knowing my faith kicked in, you know, and because I still didn't want to be there. And, you know, he was talking, this household is going to go to church, you know. And I didn't really care for the church that he wanted to go to. So I was like, okay. So Sunday morning, getting ready for church. And guess what? He thought I was going with him. Nope. I went to a different church. Yeah, well, that's what I told you know? God. I said, my Lord, you know, if you're going to be in this household, uh, <laughs> you're going to go to church. And she gets up and gets dressed. I'm thinking, man, I got to her. She gets in her car. She goes to another church. And I'm like, Lord. He says, you need to be a little specific with this one. This one right here, you better be specific with. But you got to realize, um, one of the things, the encounters I had had, you know, she talked about my encounters with God. Uh, you know, the Lord, the Lord walked through a wall and introduced himself to me. 
in August of 1993, middle of a divorce, she had left. And God introduced himself to me and changed everything. And he said to me, he says, you either put your hand in my hand, I'll never leave you, forsake you. Or, and when he pointed, I saw hell. I'll let hell have its way with you. You know, a lot of people meet sweet baby Jesus. I met the Lion of Judah, and I understood the king and the kingdom real quick. And he, he holds life and death in his hands. But it was months before she decided to move back home. But I can understand that the honesty of my brokenness, uh, I dealt with my honesty with God. Going back to, you know, you started this whole interview as a little boy. And my honesty of God going back to seven years old, that opened up my bad character, my adultery, my pornography. And I just said to God, I know you gave me these visions. I know you promised me my marriage. I know you promised me my children. I know you promised me to be in ministry. Are you kidding me? Do you know me? And, and, and I was shocked, and that, those were his promises. But, he, but the biggest thing was he put a love in my heart for Susie that I had never had. I did not know how to love until that time. And that's what she did not know. She had never seen that side of me. Because that little boy that knew how to love had finally come out. She had never met him before because I'd always hit him. But I was getting brutally honest with God, and here's what I said to God. God, you can't trust me. You promised me I've now loved my wife like I've never loved her before. It's not if I cheat, but when I cheat. I'm a cheater. I may be able to not cheat for six months, maybe a year. Maybe a couple of years, maybe five years. You put me in the right situation with the right woman, I'm a cheater. I'll cheat. And I never want to hurt her again. And I told God, all the promises you gave me of my marriage and healing my marriage, I want you to release me from those promises and let her find a husband that will love her and not hurt her the way I've hurt her. And that was that was my real cry. And for three days, I argued with God, take your promises back. I'm not trustworthy. Take your promises back. I don't have the moral character. I don't want to hurt her again. And I can remember third the third day at 2.30 in the afternoon, I went home from work, which is sacrilegious. And, and, and the Lord cornered me. He says, is this your final excuse? I said, yeah. He says, do you do know I'm God? I said, yeah. And he goes, what if I guaranteed you that you would never touch another woman inappropriately? Would you want me to give you those promises and heal your marriage? I said, you could do that. And he goes, I am God. I said, if you could make that guarantee, that's really the, I had finally come down to the root issue of me the core of this broken man. And uh, I said, if you could guarantee me that, I would. And he goes, I can. He said, get out of your Bible, get out of your bed, stand on the ground. Put your Bible down and stand on your Bible. And I'll never forget as long as I live, I stood on my Bible and here's what he said. And he said it audibly to where the windows in my house rattled. It sounded like quiet thunder. Charles Layton Coker, Jr., you ever touch another woman inappropriately, I'll kill you stone dead. I really haven't had a problem since then because the fear of God came in that he holds life and death in his hands. And he was willing to show me a fear, wrath side of his personality to get me to come into alignment to learn how to love him. It's taken me 25 years to get back to that love. And that's where I'm at now. All right, Susie, do you have anything in, uh, while we're wrapping up? Any last closing thoughts? Anything that you <sighs> have to correct? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in those years that uh, he had that drastic, that God changed his life drastically, you know, there was always that pendulum swing, you know, and he swung, you know, it swung so far the other direction to where he came became so religious and then it was, uh, you know, living with, if our ministry doesn't make it, it's your fault. And, you know, so it's like I had that side. 
in our marriage that we, we had to deal with, you know. Right. Um, and they're kind of, again, it was a point where uh, I was going to look for a way out because of, of he was so dogmatic, you know. Um, you know, all those different kind of abuses that that we go through, you know. It's not always the... Well, I, I let's, let's be real. I went from 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 uh, pornography abuse to spiritual abuse. Right, right. I really did. I mean, it was another form of abuse, but at the same, it was time, almost like what you dealt with with your dad, being so dogmatic on yeah. things. At, at the same time, though, it was the structure that I needed yes. to get healed. Right. And and in that, what I needed, I projected on her. Yes. I shouldn't have, but that's all I knew. Right. And 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 dang it, you know, you're a Jezebel, you're a control yes. freak, and I want to kill you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but but in the meantime, there was a lot of healing that happened. There was my, my, you know, my kids, my kids went through some of this, but they're not scarred the way I was scarred. No. They're not. I mean, they watched mom and dad work through, fight through some stuff. Listen, we know how to fight through some stuff. There, there, you know, I love this lady came to me one time and she just rebuked me. She goes, I just, I just want to rebuke you. The way you, the way you talk to your wife. And she was just ripping me a new one. And I'm the senior pastor. I'm like, okay, good. And I said, let's go to my office. Let's, let's talk. And I said, I understand what you're saying. I said, but do you understand something? I said, let me ask you a question. I said, how many times have you been married? What does that have to do with it? I said, how many times have you been married? She goes three times. I said, you talk to your first husband? Heck no. You talk to your second husband? Heck no. Oh, your third one finally became your mouse. <laughs> I said, let me tell you something about me and Susie. We went through all the crap that you'll never face. And and she makes me mad. She knows she made me mad. She becomes rebellious or she becomes religious or she becomes dogmatic. I said, I will tune her up. At the same time, she'll tune me up. And I looked at her and I said, we don't have the luxury of getting new husbands or wives. Mm-mm. And therefore, you don't have the right to correct me. Now, she, she kind of left the church. But, <laughs> but, but the, you know, what I'm saying is people go into the first, the second, the third marriage, and they've never dealt with, with, with the emotions. One thing about Miss Susie and I, we deal with our stuff, and we get real about it. But we all, you can see, already, I'm sure you heard from Susie's nature. She is forgiving. If I will make a little bit of effort towards something, if I say, "Hey, forgive me," uh, if you t- no, if you did something to me, Kevin, I I would say, you know, uh, if you told me you asked me to forgive you, dude, it's instant with me. Susie's like, uh, uh-uh, uh, those are just words. I want to see action. <laughs> I want to see a game plan that you'll never repeat it. That's her. Okay, I just need to hear that you represent, you know, I'm there sorry. There is a book out there, The Five Languages of, of uh, Forgiveness. Of Forgiveness. Yeah, five, love lang- five Languages of Forgiveness. And listen, she wants she wants a verbal with a written contract. Well, because actions louder than words. So I want to know you're not going to do it again. You have to show me you're not going to do it again. With him, you just say, I'm sorry. and My bad. That's done with, you know. <laughs> and I forgive My you. My bad. Is that a male female thing or is no, it just a Charlie it's just person- Susie thing? personality is i mean it seems like men will have fa- problems and then next day it's over you know but one thing about Susie is we can fight i love these people man I, we've done enough marriage counseling well me and Susie, me and mary lou have never fought i'm like well you're about to because you're getting divorced because they never they never deal with anything right you know, I can't believe my husband cheated on me. Well, he gave you signs for twelve years. He was mad. Right. You know, you didn't you didn't respond to the signs. You know, you know, you you, you can't. You're not a nun. You know, you need to do what you're supposed to do in the bedroom, sweet pea. Yeah. <gasps> oh, you could get in trouble for that one. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Some of these pastors said. <laughs> Well, Told I'll deal with that. Just email me. I'll deal with it. No, but there, you know, there are couples that don't fight. There is such a thing. Well, really? isn't the best thing <laughs> in what you're saying is you guys knew and is it us? how to communicate. You, can, you guys knew how to talk. Did you? Well, I didn't always. No? No. We're committed enough that we can take it for a while, but we will, we will bring it to a head. 
and we have grace for each other. I think the uh, the more we've been with each other, we've you become alike. Right. And so, therefore, I think we've become alike in that way. A couple of years ago, um, I made a I made an effort to buy some expensive airplane tickets and go snowmobiling. And just the fact that I made those efforts and did it, I, I really believe that I had an encounter with God when she made a statement to me. We were, we, it was snowing both sides of the road. It was icy as snowing upstate New York, going to snowmobile. And she just says, thank you. She just looked over her left shoulder. I can still see this as clear as a bell. And I said, for what? She goes, I know you made that happen for me. Thank you. And then she made a statement, isn't it good being on the other side of bankruptcy? And when she did, I had an encounter with God. Well, that's another whole story you skipped okay. into. But, but, what I'm saying, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that we, we've learned enough about each other. And, and she recognized that, that I was making an effort for her. And she needed it. And, and I'm telling you, God shows up when we do that with each other. There's something about me and Miss Susie. When we're, when we're on the same page... We are not beatable. Right. But there is all hell that tries to keep us not to be on the same page. And 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 I go back to years ago, my, my youngest son Brian, we were in a grocery store and, and this lady, uh, Brian was being a little little kid, and this lady said, so who's the boss at your house? Your mommy or your daddy? And, and and I'll never forget this as long as that. he goes, my mommy is until my daddy says she's not. And and I've never forgot that. And 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 I she runs the household, she runs the finances, I work hard, I, I, I do the best. I, I'm not afraid to work. And when once in a while Susie has to sit down and say, Hey, here's the scorecard, here's where we're at, here's what's going on. And it takes a little bit of affirmation for me to keep being the engine that I am and sometimes she'll wake up and I think God speaks to her or she comes to the revelation she goes just give him that little bit of encouragement he'll keep going because I will and I do when we went through a bankruptcy in 2010 and that was the worst emotional crisis of my life and I went into I tried to go into a depression and was into it for about three weeks and Miss Susie said, let's go for a walk. And she's holding hands, and she's being my bride, and she's my loving girl. And she makes a statement to me. She goes, you know, when I married you, I knew you knew how to make money. I knew you how to, to make things happen. You've never been lazy. You've been a good worker. I said, thank you. She says, but listen, um, I wasn't born to be broke. I wasn't born to be poor. You need to fix this crap. You understand me? And she said it. And I'm like, uh, and it, it, it was like a kick in the pants. Um, in other words, my, 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 my three weeks of, of, of depression was over with. And she made a statement. She says, if we live under a bridge, but we're heading somewhere, I can follow you. But you got to get, you, get you, you have to go after something. Figure this out. I'll follow you, but know where we're going. And, and I'll never forget the statement. I'll live under a bridge if that's part of the journey, but we're going somewhere. And I think so many men don't know how to get ahead and get a picture of what God wants them to do as a family. And their wives would follow them if they weren't so insecure. But she told me, I wasn't born to be poor. You need to fix this crap. <laughs> and you've lived up to it ever since. <laughs> yes. So that's cool. That's cool. All right, let's wrap this up um, a little bit. Let's talk to a couple people that are listening right now. Um, maybe somebody's going through a situation somewhat like yours, a situation that they don't feel like there's hope. There is, um, you know, they can't stand each other. Uh, they both believe in God. They both um, have come to the point that they understand that God has put them, you know, brought them together, but it's not working. What would you say to them? What would you pray for them, Susie? Well, I know one thing is that we got to quit focusing, stop focusing on the problem and, and the other person. You know, we've got to look inward at ourselves. We got to fix ourselves, you know, and, um, you know, that's where we need to 
to start and we just need to pray for the other person. You know, that, that in, you need to go after God, you know, for, for him to show you and see those little things that um, might not be noticeable to anybody else, but those changes that are going on and that you know that that is God showing you, you know, that I am in control of this situation, you know, and just, you know, you got, you got to change the inside of you. And you got to quit looking at, at every flaw they have and, you know, and uh, just, you got to trust God in it. You have any closing thoughts there, Charlie? Yeah, God's bigger than all your wounds. That's right. You know, um, it's interesting. I've written three books. The first one was Church Fathers versus Kingdom Sons and Inheritance Worth Fighting For. And that was some of what we talked about during this interview and my father issues and the broken issues. And then my second book was From Rape to Righteousness, Redeeming the Bride of Christ. That was the hard book because I had to get real, real. I just finished a book called The Baptism of Innocence. And I think that is the cleanup book for me and Susie. Um, you know, we've been married 40 years, and all of a sudden I can look at her and I'm like, man, She's innocent because I know that the cross made me innocent. And and when you look at our story, there you could never say Charlie Coker was innocent unless you look at me through the cross. Jesus was naked and not ashamed. He took away my shame. He made me innocent. The Father said it on the cross. Jesus said it on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they've done, which means they're innocent. That's what the cross gives us. And when I can see myself as innocent, then I can declare my wife innocent. And when that comes to the forefront, then then the, all this strife and stuff that we all seem to live with, and we do. Listen, me, me and Susie ain't no saints, but, you know, we, we figure it out. And the bottom line is we know God is in control. And, um, you know, so just understand your innocence and then your childlikeness and let the Father love you. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, you've been listening to the Millennium Beat. My name is Kevin James. Thanks for tuning in. Um, we'll, we'll catch you all, guys, next week at same time, same channel. And I'd like to thank my guests, Charlie Coker and Susie Coker, for joining us here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today to the Millennium Beat podcast. I hope you heard something that was encouraging to you. We'd like to hear from you with your story, so write us at stories at themillenniumbeat.com or give us a call at 407-624-9957 and leave us a voicemail. You may also find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we have a YouTube channel. Please like us and share us with your friends. You may also go to our website at themillenniumbeat.com and you'll find our podcast and our YouTube video. You also may find a calendar there with past and future guests and dates and times. Plus, another way for you to contact us with your stories or questions. This has been a Millennium Beat LLC production, copyright 2020. Views and opinions of the guests are not always the views and opinions of the Millennium Beat LLC. You've been listening to the Millennium Beat with your host, Kevin James. I'm going to give you a little snippet of a show called Family Matters with your host, Paul Kendall. If you want to hear more shows like that, go to KendallFamilyNetwork.com. Once again, I'd like to thank Paul Kendall for the use of his show. Welcome to Family Matters, a daily look inside the real world of parents and their children. I'm your host, Paul Kendall. What if I told you that there was a statistically proven program that can increase the average life expectancy of your children by eight years, significantly reduce their use of alcohol, tobacco, and drugs, help them rebound from depression 70% faster, dramatically reduce their risk of committing a crime, and improve their attitude at school? Would you be interested? What if it also reduced their risk of rebelliousness and even got them to wear their seatbelts more often? How much would a program like that be worth to you? What if I told you it was free and it only took about two hours a week? 
Well, there is such a program. It's called Taking Your Children to Church. In study after study, children who actively engage in a faith community on a regular basis are rewarded with significantly reduced likelihood of problems and risks and significantly improve odds of a happier, healthier, longer life. To increase the odds of receiving these results, you can't wait. According to a Barna Research Group study, adults who attended church regularly as children are nearly three times as likely to be attending church today as their peers who avoided church during childhood. In other words, parents who truly want the best for their children should get them involved in church now and attend with them consistently. Now, we all know that church attendance will not guarantee a good child. But I think we also know that the long-term effect is overwhelmingly positive. God's Word tells us in Hebrews 10.24 that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. I have a friend who says that when he was young, he had a drug problem. His mother drug him to Sunday school and drug him to church service every week. I actually loved going to church. I never wanted to miss a service. Some of my greatest childhood memories are of being in church, winning prizes for good attendance, playing in the youth group band, and all kinds of special events. I wouldn't trade those days for anything. Parents, isn't it worth two hours a week to give your children the chance to become a good statistic? Well, you can start by taking them to church this week. And by the way, my friend who had the childhood drug problem... Well, that free two-hour-a-week program served him well. Today, he's a minister. That's Family Matters. I'm Paul Kendall. For more Family Matters and to learn how you can bring Family Matters to your church or special event, log on to thekindlefamilynetwork.com.